G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey and welcome to Lockdown, Character Strengths and Silver Linings, your guide to applying positive psychology in seclusion. I'm joined again today by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey. Dad, good to be chatting with you on the podcast again today. Good to be with you again, Rowan. Now, I'm really looking forward to today's episode because it's very much a topic that's very close to my heart, but we've called today's episode Speaking of Sport. So what's today's episode going to be about? Well, as you say, Rowan, I'd have to say you would have been a sports nut since you were about two, so (laughs) no doubt you're really enjoying uh, the idea of this episode, and I suppose we're partly calling it Speaking of Sport because, uh, well, in a number of other episodes we have spoken of sport, but today we're going to more explicitly talk about the relationship between sport and principles of positive psychology. Well, I guess for me anyway, today's episode, I suppose, is centred around the central theme of if sport is likely to be one of the first things to return, how can we best use it to our advantage? So I guess I'm someone who over sort of the course of my life, I've, I guess, grown to love sport and sort of see it in a way where it's it's just an absolute passion. So I suppose uh, today's episode is a little bit about trying to get that across to everyone out there and maybe uh, using you here, Dad, to maybe temper me a little bit and uh, point out what's maybe my uh, maybe more nuffy characteristics in, uh, in the sports fan world. Well, I'm sure we can find some character strengths in there that contribute to your interest as well, Rowan. Yeah, well, I think that's going to be one thing that's really interesting because to me, the character strengths are something that is almost inherently tied to sport. And I think we're going to find out a little bit today why that is. But I suppose just to, to go over what we're talking about today, we're going to be looking at why is sport so important? And essentially, we want to encourage people to use their character strengths when playing sport, but also think about their character strengths when watching sport in order to get more out of it. So... I know that's something that I suppose I've done just without necessarily realising it, just through kind of being aware of the character strengths and and we'll get into a little bit of of why that is. But I suppose just just a broad one for you, Dad. Why do you think sport is so important? Well, I suppose there are a couple of aspects to sport too. And as you say, it's one thing that Scott Morrison is talking about as one of the first things to change with lockdown and reducing restrictions. One of the first things to change is bringing in more recreational sport. And so it seems to me there's two different aspects of sport. There's the participating in recreational sport and then there's spectating. And each of these things seem very important for maybe some overlapping but some different reasons as well. So sport seems very important to us in different ways in terms of, well, it's a way of getting physical exercise that uh, actually adds to neuroplasticity or adding new brain cells, new stem cells through physical activity. But also it's very good for a sense of teamwork and, and connecting with others for a common goal. So certainly in terms of playing sport... There are many benefits that we learn from being involved in it. That's absolutely true and and we hear about those sort of benefits of sport all the time in terms of exercise and all this sort of stuff but uh, but I suppose for me anyway and I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this too but for me sport almost runs so much deeper than that in the sense that I suppose if you look at sport at a really sort of broad level it's almost that idea of sport is making order out of chaos and trying to present chaos to your opposition so that they're not able to make order out of it so like I, I follow sort of a whole range of sports sort of thing but I look at for example two sports like golf and boxing and you look at people who follow golf and people who follow boxing and the participants in both those respective sports as well and 
And I would almost wonder whether the paradigm in which they live their lives is slightly different around those ideas of order and chaos. So you hear about sort of some of the, the heavyweight boxers who, who've really excelled in boxing over the journey and some of them have had quite tough lives. Violence and aggression have been very prevalent, whether it be throughout their childhoods and, uh, you know, gone through sort of things in adulthood. Look at someone like Mike Tyson and even though he got to sort of the top of the top of the world in terms of his sport, he was still very much someone who was, I suppose, trapped in that almost uh, that paradigm of sort of violence and aggression. And he's been very open about speaking of this. Whereas you look at sort of the participants of golf and, and maybe it's seen as sort of something slightly more white collar. Maybe the, uh, the people who, who are attracted to golf live in a slightly different paradigm in terms of chaos and order. So for me, you look at all the sort of different sports and if we look at sort of, I suppose, the rules of a particular sport as, say, the parameters with which we can all work in, in many ways, I think sport is such a metaphor for life in that sense because of those two ideas of order and chaos. And there aren't really any sports that don't, I suppose, contend with those two themes. Yeah, I like that. I like that order versus chaos idea and looking at sport as a metaphor for life, as, as you say. And look, I suppose a couple of things that come to mind with that. Well, one, one of the things that comes into sport is about rules, isn't it? That there are rules and there's guidelines. And so that's, that's a kind of setting of boundaries as well. It's learning how to manage with boundaries. But just say in terms of rules, we partly have that. So you end up with, say, a winner and a loser. And, and a lot of life is very complex and uh, ambiguous and all the rest of it. So I think that that's something that also people appreciate, that in sport you end up with something a little bit more known. Maybe that's part of the order you're mentioning. It's sort of um, uh, you end up with a winner and, and a loser. But, but well, one thing interests me in terms of, of boundaries that I might mention, that um, sport is a way of learning a bit about controlled aggression if we talk about boundaries and things like that. So what struck me years ago is learning that there was an increase in violent crime in young women or adolescent girls where at times the crimes were dramatically increasing in the like severity of the violence involved. And they thought this was happening or increasing a little bit more with girls and some people speculated that maybe this was partly because at that stage girls didn't engage as much in competitive physical sport. So that's how a lot of boys and then to young men actually learn how to manage their aggression better. Well, I think if we go back to that idea of boxing and and martial arts, one thing that's so big in that sport is the idea of you don't take anything outside the ring or you don't take anything outside the octagon. And to extend that idea of people living within their paradigm, part of, I think, the appeal and, and part of the, the value in sports like boxing and, and martial arts is that they are able to take people who are in situations where they may be prone to anger, may be prone to violent crimes, all this sort of stuff, but they're actually able to sort of say, hold on, let's channel that into a sport where everyone sort of agrees on the rules and the parameters and and again they're able to for lack of a better term translate the chaos that they're living in their sort of everyday life and they're able to distill that down into whether it be the ring or whether it be on the field and and yeah I, I completely agree that that's one of the real sort of values that sport sort of teaches us. Yeah so even if they talk about say white line fever 
And a footballer might say that he, well, he hit another player partly because he's in the heat of battle, was on the field and they're very competitive and you have to react very quickly. But uh, one thing with sport, that's not accepted. You still get rubbed out for quite a number of weeks if you do that. Now, look, actually, if we talk about sport teaching controlled aggression, I wonder if I might mention an example of where psychology can go wrong, psychological principles can go wrong. This is actually a, a personal and a family story, but it illustrates the point. Rowan, you might remember when uh, you and your younger sisters were little kids, we used to play wrestling on the bed. There's a double bed upstairs and, and we used to play wrestling on the bed and what would happen is in turn we would take each other on in bouts and I'd have a bout against each of you where we'd lie on the bed and I'd suddenly go ding, ding, ding and then we'd start wrestling and we had to push the other person off the bed. Well, actually... One of your younger sisters uh, very often succeeded in, in pushing me off the bed and I thought that's a great way of teaching controlled aggression. What a wonderful sort of you know, example of learning about life. Well, didn't work out quite so well. When the kinder teacher approached your mother and, and myself and explained, hey, your two-year-old daughter is walking up to these other kids at kinder and pushing them over. How could that be? And I thought, oh, my God, I've raised a thug. That one backfired. Well, I think that's where uh, the idea of maybe sport being a metaphor for life uh, sort of comes in rather than maybe just uh, just being life itself. It got a bit too literal there, didn't it? Yeah. Well, as you say, you can, you can maybe sort of go a little bit too far with it. But if you look at some of sort of the benefits of playing sport recreationally, what would some of those benefits be, do you think? Well, look, I suppose one of the things we know that any activities that give us a sense of uh, mastery or achievement or pleasure are very worthwhile for our well-being. For example, if people have been mildly depressed, one of the things that tends to alleviate that depression, one of the first things that we look at is engaging in activities that give a sense of achievement or pleasure. Now, playing recreational sport could do both. By definition, we're learning particular skills and in the context of physical exercise as well, which is very good for our health, it's as good as anything, and also we are learning about rules, it's, it's got a social connection with it, people playing on the same team, you know, learning to be civil to people on the other team, so we're learning something about conflict as well, we're learning something about respect, but I think particularly for the physical elements, the skill elements, the fun elements, and then very importantly the social elements, which is where many people will be missing it at the moment in lockdown. And do you think there's a difference between playing team sport and individual sport in that sense? Look, I think certainly in terms of the, the, the social connection and being able to align one's goals and interests with the team. And you hear this in professional sport as well, but it'll happen in any, uh, in any sporting team. At times, people will need to put their own personal interests or what they might ideally like their role to be. At times, put that aside for the team, but also look at the best match of finding our individual skills and interests and looking to blend that into a team. So there's, we learn about compromise, we learn about collaboration, we learn about uh, managing competition. There's so many life lessons that we learn, but also many people make friends friendships. Many people's best friendships have partly evolved out of sport and playing the same team. Now, there are some great sort of individual benefits there, but I suppose just in terms of some of the collective benefits of playing sport, is there anything that comes to mind there? Well, look, I think certainly that the social and the community and the teamwork kind of sense of it, that, that being aligned for a common goal. 
and uh, many people who play individual sport who enjoy it but they also play a team sport they might even be better at the individual sport in some ways yet they enjoy playing with the team so much that they'll choose to pursue that and so you know they might have been a I don't know a, a top golfer but instead they they might be playing uh, cricket instead for example. And do you think some of those benefits in terms of that idea of buying into a collective, buying into something larger with some transcendent goals of of just the individual sort of thing, do you think that relates to spectating as well as playing sport? Uh, Look, I I think that with spectating, people get such a satisfaction from aligning with a team and identifying with a team and um, cheering them on. But being part of a crowd, like just say at the MCG, when you've got half the crowd, it might be 40,000 people yelling and cheering on for the same team. That's an amazing feeling if your side kicks a goal. So sharing in the joys and I suppose also uh, sharing in the tribulations if your team doesn't do so well. I've found at times... Being at the MCG in particular, when the crowd is roaring, and especially if your team is going well, that, that's a wonderfully, well, transcendent experience where you can lose yourself in the mob almost, but in a wonderful way. Well, I think absolutely. And it almost goes back to that idea that we were talking about on the last episode in terms of that idea of solidarity. So uh, we spoke on the last episode in terms of our... So this idea of solidarity being human speak in terms of we statements and they statements. So like I suppose sport for me is something that almost scratches that kind of innate primal, for lack of a better term, sort of itch that we all have. In terms of aligning ourselves with a group, with a team, with an identity of, of following a team and player or, or whatever it is, but I also wonder to the degree to which sport again, almost runs a little bit deeper than that. And this is a, maybe a little bit of a, a crackpot theory that I, <laughs> I'd like to, I'd, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on as well. But one thing that I've wondered for a little while and almost noticed as well is the degree to which in different countries, their sporting practices, their sporting interests, the way they follow sport aligns a lot with their history of conflict in that society, in that culture. So for example, you look at America and I look at American sports and I would almost describe American sports to be built around what I call the athletic aesthetic. So you look at you know basketball. Basketball, it's all about the slam dunks. It's all about the big plays. Well, just that term, play, is something that you hear all the time in American sport, even the degree to which NFL as a sport is very much set up so that Everyone sort of goes off, has a little huddle. All right, what are we going to do here? Okay, this is what we'll do. Then you go and sort of execute that. It either works or it doesn't work. But it's all built around this idea of executing the big play and the big athletic movement that everyone's going to be able to sort of, you know, yell and scream and cheer around. Whereas you go to the UK, maybe it's a little bit more about what I would describe as the sort of tactical contest. You look at their sort of history in terms of like all the wars that they've been involved in and all this sort of stuff and it would have been a lot about sort of tactics, a lot about military tactics and you look at the sports that they follow, it's a lot about say rugby, a very technical sport, test cricket, five days of attrition and after five days you've wound them down psychologically and only then can you claim victory sort of thing. Or even football, you know, football is a sport built around formations, 4-4-2, 4-3-3, all this sort of stuff. So I look at Australia, for example, and I think that our sport is very much built around the narrative. So you look at all of our sports that are 
more Australian sports, whether it be AFL, NRL, even the way that we do soccer in our country is different to other countries. They're all built around this idea of the grand final. And the whole season is built up to this absolute pinnacle moment when every moment counts so much and each moment goes down as a moment in folklore that still gets spoken about now. Or even the way that we follow Olympics in the way that Kathy Freeman is one of our most celebrated Olympians, although she didn't necessarily win the most gold medals. Go over to America, for example, and there's so much more about the dominance and the ability to really beat someone. So for them, Michael Phelps is almost their prodigal uh, prodigal uh, hero in terms of sport there. So, yeah, look, I, I think it's something that I think runs almost quite deep in us, even to the degree to which we choose sporting teams, you know. Like I look at the teams that I follow, you know, Geelong, Cats, Newcastle United. There's almost an alignment with elements of my personality that I almost feel, yeah, a form of identification with that runs quite deep. So, yeah, well, what are your thoughts on that? Is that yeah, is that something that you think is sort of, I suppose, inherent to me? Or is that sort of something that you see a little bit in terms of the way that people buy into these larger ideas of sport? Well, look, um, uh, I've got to say you've thought about these things a lot deeper than, than I have. And uh, yet uh, in our discussions, maybe leading up to today as well, when you mentioned some of these ideas, I thought, yeah, look, I can really see something in that. And um, and you mentioned, like, just say the aesthetic in American sport. Well, uh, after you mentioned the, the documentary series The Last Dance in the last podcast episode, you mentioned about Michael Jordan, that 10-part documentary series. I watched the first episode of that last night and it's just remarkable the aesthetic with which Michael Jordan played the game. He doesn't just sort of slam dunk, but the way he sort of moves his arm around in such a creative kind of twisting arc kind of thing. I think that really adds to the theme that you're mentioning. But um, but also when you mentioned about that and thinking of, well, what's Australian sport like? And I was thinking, well, how Australian rules developed it's kind of got this irreverent kind of you know streak about it where people are playing what it's like playing a a rugby match or or, or they're playing some game and then someone picks up the ball and starts running with it or maybe you know kicking it a certain way you'll know about the history of it you know better than I will but it starts as this absolute kind of rabble and a lot of people from overseas watch Australian rules and think it's just chaos but uh, part of the reason I think we love the game when you're a supporter is you know about all the rules within it and so there's something that's that's wonderfully you know flowing and dramatic about it and all the rest of it. But I can't help but think that's got a bit of an Australian narrative too. Very pragmatic, you know, and just sort of you know adapt adapt something and make it work. You know, being a bit irreverent with it, kind of thing. But um, uh, yeah, but it's certainly got a great uh, drama to it. Well, certainly, and and to look at you know, let's look at Aussie rules for an example and. It was a game created by a British colonial and it was created essentially to try and keep the cricketers fit in in the off-season. So I suppose if you look at the history of Australia in many ways, and and this is something that I wonder, and you mentioned, I suppose, AFL being a bit of a chaotic game. Well, it it was actually a game built upon an Indigenous game. I believe it was called Mangrook. So it was a game where people followed an inflated possum skin and kicked that around, and then that grew into the game of AFL. But that idea of sort of chaos, I just think, looking back to early AFL, for example, the first game took two weeks, because it was first to get to a certain score. So they'd just come back each day, because the field was just way too long, and there was trees in the middle of the field, and all this sort of stuff. But if you look at, I suppose, Australia at that time, 
It would have been a bit chaotic in terms of this, I, I suppose, certainly from a, a British colonial perspective. It was this sort of expanse of, of maybe a bit more unknown. We certainly maybe hadn't integrated with the Indigenous people as well as we could have. So like, I wonder to what degree the, the chaos that you sort of see on an AFL field is almost, again, part of this idea of being reflective of the society in which it's built and being able to grow in. Yes, yeah, so, so looking at things from this um, big picture perspective, I'd be interested in some of your thoughts on how, how, for example, character strengths might apply to particular sports when we talk about the positive psychology character strengths. Well, I think you can almost look at it on a capital of levels. So, you know, if we, if we keep with this idea of sort of Australian sport, for example, we can look at things that I would argue are slightly more inherent within Australian sport in terms of the character strengths. And so you look at something like humility, for example, and apart from like really Pat Rafter, maybe Leighton Hewitt sort of later in his career, we haven't had a humble tennis player in a very long time. But they've also not, or in the, in the men's draw that is, you look at Ash Barty, for example, she's absolutely brilliant. But you look at the men's draw and, and they're all, they've all got this sort of slight element of, of kind of spoiled brat about them. And and you look at other countries, and, and I wonder to what degree other countries would have embraced those players a lot more than Australia. Yeah, I look at, say, for example, some things maybe Serena Williams has done and sort of think there's an element of that. But uh, in Australia, if you were to do that, I don't know if you sort of would be uh, maybe celebrated to the degree that which she is in America or... You look at, for example, fairness. You look at the Australian cricket team and the way that they cheated in in South Africa recently. And and one thing that sort of came out from, whether it be the South Africans or the Indians or the English, is they actually thought that the punishment was quite harsh, whereas I actually thought it was quite lenient. In terms of if you're cheating in a sport in a way that's calculated, like that just so goes against the Australian psyche of what sport stands for. And then, you know, for example, I look at leadership and the way that in Australia – maybe up until the the recent cheating scandal but but the Australian cricket captain was almost seen as you know there was that explicit notion of the Australian cricket captain was the second highest office in the country behind the prime minister and you know I look at America and anytime anyone does anything in America uh, essentially they go to the White House and they get to uh, go and meet the president or in England if they sort of do anything in sport they go and meet the Queen whereas in Australia it's almost that idea of the other way around it's almost that idea of the Prime Minister would go into the rooms and sort of you know almost uh, coattail off the success of, uh, of the Australian uh, team that's doing well there so I think there's certainly some character strengths that you can look at that are in- inherent to different countries consumption of sport But then there's also different ways that you can look at individual sports and individual acts and even individual representatives within sports in terms of the character strengths. So for me, the character strengths and their relationship to sport is part of the reason that sport has such a richness and part of the reason that sport is such a metaphor for life. And look, I know one thing that that, that we spoke about sort of before this podcast is someone who's just absolutely one of my favourite sports people of all time is, is Muhammad Ali. And you know, Muhammad Ali is considered sort of the, the greatest boxer of all time. And, and you know, he, he didn't win every fight. He certainly didn't win every fight. But you look through the character strengths with Muhammad Ali in mind and you go, all right, creativity, curiosity, judgment, love of learning, perspective, bravery, perseverance, honesty, zest, love, kindness, social intelligence, teamwork would maybe be the one 
that you kind of go, oh, he sort of maybe didn't have as much of an opportunity to showcase that throughout his career. But all the others on there, fairness, leadership, forgiveness, humility, prudence, self-regulation, appreciation of beauty and excellence, gratitude, hope, humor, spirituality. Muhammad Ali had absolutely all of those in spades. And so I wonder to what degree these sports people that we elevate beyond that idea of, for lack of a better term, mere civilian, (laughs) part of the reason that that is, is that they are given this platform to display so many of their qualities And the character strengths is something which really comes through for the best of those athletes. Yes, and there's a lot in that. And I'm interested with what you were saying first too about the collective strengths, uh, like uh, humility, fairness and leadership. Like um, Australia, we're so focused on the fair go, that really fits in. And humility, well, as you say, well, certainly uh, Kyrgios and uh, and Tomic, as as wonderful as they are as, as tennis players, they certainly weren't very popular when they seem to be acting in a brash way. So, yeah, I, I like that idea. But then getting back to the individual themes with Ali, now it's, it's just remarkable when you go through the strengths like that. As you say, how many strengths he showed, like the creativity that he showed in that uh, fight where he used a rope-a-dope strategy. That was just such a remarkable kind of thing to do. Uh, his humour, of course, would come out wonderfully with his little ditties and all the rest of it. And I'm thinking, actually, even when you mentioned teamwork, I think he did show that in, in different kind of ways in that he was very interested, this is partly leadership of course, but he was interested in uh, I suppose the collective and looking at the, the circumstances of, uh, of blacks in America who'd been mistreated in different kind of ways. So he was often uh, prepared to speak for them with a sense of citizenship and social responsibility. And I think even his refusal to go to Vietnam, saying, well, he didn't have anything particularly against the, the Vietnamese. I think that gets back to the we that you've been talking about with the philosopher Rorty talking about the we and, and the more we relate to other people, how that leads to more healthy societies. But, but when you're talking about Ali's strengths and having so many of the character strengths, what strikes me is how he was able to use those strengths to some extent in the service of others. We've talked about that before with character strengths, that ultimately for people to have not just an engaged life but a meaningful life and for people to derive the greatest satisfaction in their life, it's basically coming from the point of view that other people matter and that was very clear through Ali's career. Well, that is true, actually. Yeah, as you say that, it, it, it is true. So, well, yeah, Muhammad Ali, for example, is someone who probably had each of the character strengths and, and displayed them in spades. It's not that hard to sort of look for examples for each of them there. But I am interested in this idea where the character strengths help sporting acts to transcend the sports themselves. And, you know, I look at someone... You know, you look at, uh, think of Peter Norman, for example, who with Tommy Smith and John Carlos was in the, uh, the Black Power salute and he wore the badge in support of them and, and you know, was, was essentially persecuted throughout the rest of his, his career and life based on that. It was only sort of quite recently awarded an honour that, that was deserving of certainly some of the courage that he showed during that. But to take that act, for example, it's in many ways, a sporting act. It's it's part of sport. It's uh, it's the medal ceremony. It's part of the whole process of sport. But you look at the character strengths in terms of that. You look at you know bravery, of course, but love, kindness, perspective, judgment, creativity in the way that he wore the badge and his way to do that. 
honesty, in being honest with himself, even though he would have, you know, copped it a lot. Obviously, leadership, teamwork, fairness, forgiveness, humility, spirituality in terms of meaning and purpose, hope, gratitude. So, you know, I, I look at these sort of acts within sport that, you know, we still talk about for so much more than the mere act of participating in that sport. But another one that comes to mind is Derek Redman, the the 400-metre runner at the 1992 Olympics, where his father actually came out and helped him finish the race. He was favourite to win the race, and he tore a hamstring down the back straight. And you look at an act like that, and you think on his father's behalf, there's judgment, perspective, bravery, perseverance, honesty in terms of authenticity and integrity, you know, love, kindness, teamwork. It, the list just goes on. So I suppose I look at sport and it's not just, you know, sport is so much more rich than the act of, you know, kicking a ball between some goals or getting a little, you know, ball in a cup or whatever it is. There's actually so much more to it. And I wonder if part of the reason that that is, is uh, that, that we see the character strengths being on display so often and there's almost a little something within us that, that can't help but to respect when we see those things on display. Yeah, look, it's interesting what you're pointing out there because I, I wouldn't have known who Peter Norman was. But when you describe the situation that he was in and when he inspired people, then I think, uh, like many other people, I remember that well. And so, yeah, well, why do we remember those acts? It's because of that uplifting quality. Another example that comes to mind is just say when John Landy was, uh, in, I think it was a, a mile race, and I think he was, you know, leading or whatever or doing very well at least and I think it might have been Ron Clark who fell over and John Landy stops goes back to help him up and uh, I think even more than people remembering that John Landy won that race that I'd not remembered until you pointed it out to me (laughs) when we talked about it but people remember the act of kindness of the uh, what, what a remarkable thing to do in the heat of competition that's just such an uplifting event it has almost a mythical quality because of well, well it is transcendent and it is something which has uh, just the notion of something much larger than oneself. I think that's a really interesting point there, and and I think it also works into the idea of of teams as well because you know I look at for example you know you think of what are some of the most successful teams of all time in any sport, and for me one that comes to mind is the All Blacks rugby New Zealand men's rugby team and one of the things that the All Blacks do after every uh, match you know win lose or draw is they clean the change rooms because they don't believe that you know that they don't feel that within their role as players they should be subordinating anyone around them within their I suppose their larger team it's it buys into this idea of I guess teamwork humility so I think there's also ways in which teams can display the character strengths as well Uh, Look, that's an interesting thing with humility. Yes, it's partly modesty, but also letting one's accomplishments speak for themselves. Well, the All Blacks can certainly do that, can't they, with with their history. But thinking of collective character strengths, actually it it does remind me of a number of years ago I did some work with the, the Western Bulldogs of introducing positive psychology principles to the team and I was invited to by the coach at the time and, and had uh, access and involvement with all the players. And, and what we did after some collective group meetings is we divided into different groups. And one of the groups was the leadership team. And 
everybody associated with the club, actually not just the players but other staff as well, completed the character strengths questionnaire that we've talked about a number of times in this podcast. Now what absolutely struck me is with the leadership group. There would have been about, I think, 16, 18 people in the leadership group that include coaches, assistant coaches and the senior players and of that group, say 16 or so people, more than half of them had teamwork as one of their top two character strengths. Now the odds of that when they're 24 strengths and more than half of them had teamwork amongst their top two strengths, the leadership team, I think that really said something about the culture of that team at the time. And I wonder if that's something that helped them against the odds win the 2016 AFL Premiership because they weren't certainly weren't expected to win at the time and they got a massive amount of support from the wider public as well. Like if other supporters had their team knocked out, many people followed the Bulldogs and I suspect it wasn't just that thing about them being the underdog. I suspect it was partly because people really respected that teamwork that they showed. Well, it was such a, I suppose, a feature of the way that they played. That's so interesting to hear that because I suppose if you were almost categorised that Bulldogs team without knowing that as, you know, what sort of trait was was the one thing that sort of got them over the line that year, it probably was teamwork. And so I find that, yeah, I find that really interesting. I think with that, there was also an interaction of the, the, the team with some individual strengths, like yeah, I wonder about Luke Beveridge, their coach, whether it might have been a, a capacity to love being part of that. But, um, but also I think Bob Murphy's leadership was a, a classic thing at that time. He was really someone who would look to bring other people together and bring all the different personalities together. Well, I think going back to that idea of sport being sort of transcendent, I think one of the things that really drew everyone to the Bulldogs during that time was Bob Murphy and and seeing sort of everything that he'd gone through and sort of, you know, the heart and soul he'd sort of poured out for the club to not be there on the last day when they were to get their second premiership after the first time since 1954, I think it was. So long sort of thing. But at the same time, going back to that sport is a metaphor for life idea, there is a bit of an idea that... You know, life's just not fair in some ways. And that was, you know, that was an example where everyone saw the acceptance that Bob Murphy had for his position. And obviously it was super uncomfortable for him. But I think it allowed people to buy in so much more to the idea of the Bulldogs winning the premiership, partly because, you know, Bob Murphy was showing so much humility, so much gratitude, so much forgiveness, so much teamwork. So... That's where I sort of say these events that stick out in sport, you know, I couldn't tell you much about the 2015 Premiership other than bloody Hawthorne on their third in a row sort of thing. But at the same time, this sticks out to us. And I think part of the reason is because I suppose the employment of the character strengths is so obvious in, in the acts that we see on the sporting field and around it. And again, acknowledging something larger than oneself. So when... Luke Beveridge took off his premiership medal as coach and put that around Bob Murphy's neck. That was just such a profound kind of moment that I think summed up so much of the team ethos. You know, there's something being larger than the individual that they all bought into. So it's more obvious when you use a character strength like teamwork in as an individual strength in the service of the team. But I think that there are also many other individual character strengths, actually all of them, that people can apply in their own sporting activities or whatever and still look to contribute to the team, something larger than oneself. 
Well, that's part of the richness of a team, isn't it? In the sense that a true team is a team that integrates and amalgamates everyone's profile and and is able to include everyone within that. So, yeah, I suppose the kind of psychology of sporting teams is one thing that I, yeah, absolutely find fascinating. Something that comes to my mind, you play a bit of sport, you play a bit of tennis and things like that. Do you have any thoughts of how you would apply any character strengths when you play, whether it be tennis or something else? Look, I suppose for me, look, I've never sort of played sport to any sort of high high level, and maybe part of the reason is, is maybe I didn't have enough of my character strengths in mind. But, look, taking tennis, for example, I suppose looking back at, at my sort of early tennis career, which, you know, there was not much of a career sort of thing, but uh, but it was when sort of Leighton Hewitt was going around, and, and I really found that, you know, Leighton Hewitt, he was an up-and-coming fellow, very exciting as a, as a young bloke watching, and he always had his hat backwards, and he'd sort of do the, the big come-ons on the tennis court and all this sort of stuff, and, and I almost found myself doing, you know, the odd come on or, you know, you put your hat back sometimes as a, you know, you sort of 10-year-old kid or whatever, you get around this sort of stuff. But, um, you know, like say, so that's something where I, for example, I would look at that and I would think that was Leighton Hewitt displaying his zest on the tennis court. And I suppose what that leads me to kind of reflect on now, and, and it's something that I've thought about a little bit, is the degree to which my favourite sports people are the ones that have similar character strengths to me. Is it the ones that have completely different character strengths to me and I see their profile and, I, and maybe I respect it a little bit more because it's something that I feel is, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily be able to act in that way. And look, I, I think it's an absolutely sort of fascinating thing in terms of our relationship to playing sport, particularly, you know, with, with sort of certain sports stars in mind and, Look, I'll, just to take a, a very shorter side, I've been having a, a bit of a conversation with someone recently who, you know, two of my favourite players are, are Ash Barty and Nick Kyrgios. And they were sort of saying, look, they're, they're sort of mutually exclusive personalities. I don't really understand how, if you like Ash Barty on one hand, you know, humble, you know, so genuine, down to earth. Kyrgios, on the other hand, is almost the exact opposite of that. But I wonder if part of the reason that, almost that gets explained a little bit is because they appeal to different character strengths. So maybe Kyrgios has a little bit more of that zest, a little bit more of the creativity side of things, maybe even a little bit more honesty. But Barty maybe has other character strengths that she displays. So it's an interesting one because, oh, look, I, you know, I look at sports people and the way that they play sport and I'd very much consider myself, you know, playing <laughs> recreation rather rather than sport. So, you know, I think it's a little bit different to sort of the, the professionals, but I think there's so much that you can learn from the way that they go about things that you can take to the way that you play sport and even sort of beyond that, even just to everyday life. You know, one thing that I suppose I sort of came to realise is like my early 20s sort of thing was... I'm at an age now where if I was at a football club, I'd be expected to do something a little bit. So, you know, for me, that was a motivating factor to almost, you know, get off my bum and start to do something. But it was very much the metaphor of sport that allowed me to do that. So I think there's, yeah, there's, there's so many ways that you can draw it back to yourself. But um, yeah, look, I must admit for me, I've, I've always played in the, uh, in, in the realm of, of spectating professional sport rather than thinking about my own sort of abilities there. 
Actually, one thing that makes me think of is like a, apart from thinking of how with playing sport at, at times, I, I'd well watching sport, I'd love seeing people when they show a lot of creativity, and and used to look to bring that in a bit with tennis and things like that. But actually, what I'm realizing is we're talking now. For me, some of the benefits of sport in bolstering some of the lower strengths. So maybe embarrassing to uh, to say, but one of my lower strengths is often self regulation. And it varies. Sometimes persistence is higher, perseverance, persistence, sometimes that's higher, sometimes that's lower. But what I find is that with playing sport and being coached in lessons, for example, at tennis a lot as a a kid, there's a lot of self-regulation, there's a lot of persistence built in the practice because it strikes me that not not, not just sporting heroes demonstrate, nearly all the top sporting heroes, what stands out is that they do more work for longer than other people. They practice, practice, practice. But also when you play a sport, you recognise the benefit of that. So for me, I'd say that sport was one of the ways that I learnt more about self-regulation and persistence well I think there's really something in that for everyone and you know like as as we've described like I've, I've gotten so much out of my own experience in terms of spectating sport with some of this in mind and I certainly think as we look ahead to the next couple of months recognizing that sport may be one of the the few things that can almost give us a, a sense of normalcy but also there's an absolute treasure trove of you know history to look back you know you mentioned the last dance there but YouTube is something that you can just spend days and months and years really sort of going back through everything so I guess if there's anything to sort of I'd almost invite everyone to do sort of out of today's episode it's just spend a little bit more time thinking from your own perspective what you have got out of the sports that you do follow and the sports that you do play and some ways that you are able to really deliberately intensify the enjoyment that you get out of that as as we face the challenges that we do over the coming months. Yeah, and look, in the meantime, I'm sure this isn't the only episode where we speak of sport, but uh, one thing I've enjoyed about our Speaking of Sport episode, Rowan, is uh, you certainly get animated when we're on this topic. Yeah, well, look at home. <laughs> it's something I must say that uh, I do have a bit of a passion in. And, and as I've mentioned on previous episodes, with it not being on at the moment, I, I am tending to find those passions maybe spill out a little bit from time to time in sort of conversations here and there. So uh, I believe at this stage, May 28 is when the NRL says they're coming back and they look like being the first cab off the rank. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that day. In the meantime, I might watch more of those episodes. I will watch more of those episodes of The Last Dance. That is a superb documentary. Thank you for putting me onto it. No worries. Well, yeah, enjoyed today, Dad, and look forward to uh, chatting a bit more sport off air. Great then, Rowan.